Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Ball with Eric Ose. I am Eric Ose, and it is good to have you with us this week as we'll be talking with the pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, here for the Clinton Lumber Kings, a single A affiliate of the Miami Marlins, for a pitching staff that has quite simply been put dominant over the last week or so and a big reason why has been the starting rotation they've been flirting with perfect games and no hitters so we were trying to decide on just the right pitcher to talk to and we decided they've all been so good let's just go to the pitching coach and Mark DeFeliz but for the Lumber Kings it really started with Humberto Mejia who took a no hitter for the Clinton Lumber Kings into the seventh inning of game one of a double header against the Beloit Snappers, the single A affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. And Mejia, with that impressive performance, would have his first complete game win by a Lumber King since 2017. And Marlins fans will know the name Robert Duggar, who is now pitching in the double A ranks with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. So it was a historical win for the Lumber Kings. And two days later, or rather two games later, a day later in that five game series out in Beloit, Chris Valamont almost was more impressive than Mejia. Maybe was. He went seven innings, did not allow a hit, took a perfect game into the seventh inning. And the Lumber Kings as a team would take the no hitter into the ninth with one man out before Joseph Pena would have a single to break it up, and that was the only hit that was surrendered. A franchise for the Lumber Kings that is known for the no-hitter. They have 25 of them going back to when the Midwest League had formed in 1954. So Lumber Kings are the only charter member left in the Midwest League, but still, they nearly added their 26th out in Beloit, and then carried it right into the Burlington Bees series, which was supposed to be a four-game set in at home against the Bees in Clinton, but of course, because the Reigns had found us again, it it became just a three-game meeting. Unfortunately, it seems like every episode that we have talked to you in, weather has been a key portion of the podcast. And again, that was the case. We record this on Sunday, May 27th, and we were rained out today here in Clinton. So that four-game series against the Burlington Bees turning into three, but the Lumber Kings will walk away with a series win. They take two out of three from the Burlington Bees after falling five to nothing in game one. They came back with, again, great starting pitching. It started with Humberto Mejia on Saturday night. Mejia was seven innings of work, striking out nine batters. That was just one off his professional career high, which he set against the Burlington Bees, which was back on May the 15th. Did not walk anyone during his timeout, allowing just two runs on five hits. He picked up the win. Mejia is now 5-0 and to start this season. And then Valamont, who came right out after him the following day on Sunday afternoon as the Lumber Kings rebranded to the Clinton Elotes while he turned in six and of work, allowed only one run, which was unearned, surrendered only one hit, struck out nine batters, and walked one. So Valamont also incredibly stingy as well, but we've been talking to you about that all season long. Valamont, though, got a no decision for his timeout. Still, the ERA continuing to shrink for Valamont. His is down now to 2.43 on the season with a 3-3 record. He has been the Lumber Kings opening day starter and has not missed a start since then. For the Lumber Kings, though, with the rain out today, back into the wild card race, though, against the the Burlington Bees currently sitting a game and a half back in those wild card standings at 26 and 23rd. As again, we record this on Monday, Memorial Day, May 27th, and that is just a half game back of third place against the Kane County Cougars, a team that has seen quite their share of strong pitching, but in that time, the offense has gone down just a little bit, really fallen off. And you could look at what the Lumber Kings have struggled with, strikeouts. We've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast. It's been an Achilles heel for the Lumber Kings down at the single-A level, and one of them is Sean Reynolds. We had him out on the podcast in Bowling Green. Reynolds, who had struck out four 
hundred times on Sunday afternoon, which was the sixth time this season that Reynolds had done that, is now the first player in all of professional baseball in 2019 to reach the 100 strikeout mark, and he did so in just 49 contests for the Lumber Kings. A power bat, sure, seven home runs on the season and 25 RBIs, but a swing and a miss rate for Sean Reynolds that has led to these high strikeout totals, which we had come to expect given the numbers that we had seen last season out in Batavia with the Muck Dogs, but always interesting when someone gets to the 100 strikeout ratio or milestone, I guess you could call it, in the month of May, and that is the case for Reynolds. It has been part of a offensive slump for the Lumber Kings as of late. Over their last five games in particular, the team they've played all right. They're 3-2 and two over those five games, but again, that is mainly built on the pitching because as a team, they're batting just 204. And if you look a little bit closer at the numbers, only five of the players the Lumber Kings have sent out there in those five games have had averages in that limited sample size that are over 200. And that is Gerard Encarnacion, J.D. Osborne, Connor Scott, Demetrius Sims, and Christopher Torres. Everyone else is below the 200 mark when it comes to batting average over the last five games and has been a reason why the Lumber Kings have stalled. We mentioned the shutout loss against the Burlington Bees on Friday night. That was their third shutout loss of the season. First time they were shut out and not losing 2 to nothing, a 5 to nothing loss to the Burlington Bees. But luckily for the Lumber Kings, the pitching able to hold strong against the lack of offense at times. But they've benefited from walks, and the Lumber Kings certainly a patient team, and that was one of the ways they've been able to manufacture runs. Also, maybe one that is a little frustrating for the likes of Demetrius Sims, but he has been a magnet for the baseball, and we don't mean that defensively. We mean it offensively. He just keeps getting hit on the hand, the left hand in particular, and in the forearm area, and we'd seen that grow to a little bit of frustration for Demetrius. He just seems to not be able to not be hit by a pitch, and we talked with about it with Mark Jacobs when we had him on the pregame show last week, that he was a little frustrated too because you never want to see anyone get hurt and for Sims who has been swinging a hot bat he's been around the 300 average all season long he has still been battling through that with what is just the grind of the baseball season made even more difficult by the pitches that have been run in on that hand of his and on the forearm for Sims. As we mentioned, though, he's one of the handful of Lumber Kings with a mark over 200 for the batting average over the last five games, a 333 average. And so Sims has been in the middle of the Lumber Kings lineup and providing rarely seen hits at times. But we were able to see a nice performance from Gerard Encarnacion. Always easy to highlight him because he's always got something to talk about on his line. Three-hit performance on a win for the Lumber Kings against the Burlington Bees on Saturday night. He scored three runs in the contest after reaching all the time on singles in the third, the fifth, and in the seventh inning. It was the first time in the 2019 season that a Lumber King had scored three runs in one game. So that was the offensive report card for the Clinton Lumber Kings for the full pitching report card. We're going to let Mark DeFelice handle it a little bit better than we can. We will get into the sabermetric side of things a little bit as we ask Mark at the very end to just explain Explain to us what exactly a spin rate is and what it means. Part of the new knowledge of baseball fans, we have to educate ourselves on these things, and Mark DeFelice is to the rescue. When we come back, he will join us. Lumber Kings pitching coach here on A-Ball with Eric Ose. We'll be back right after this.
And welcome back here on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. We're now joined by the Lumber Kings pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, on a rainy day in Clinton as we record this on Sunday, May 27th. Thanks for coming on to the podcast side of things. Seems like it's always raining in Clinton. I know. I I've, was just thinking about it that the podcast kind of feels like a weather update from the first uh, 20 minutes of it because the Lumber Kings postponed again today. But we'll be talking baseball, we promise. So warmer thoughts, at least in our minds. We're talking, of course, with the pitching coach, so that's a good place to start the pitching side of things. <laughs> Lumber Kings, who have been throwing the ball really well as of late. Let's just go over perfect games and no hitters, the close calls that were to be out in Beloit. What have you seen so well, I guess, from the starting rotation as of late? I'll tell you what, uh, Mejia, I think he was the one that started it off, but uh, he, he's been throwing the ball very, very well. Um, the command of his fastball has been something that uh, puts a smile on my face. I mean, that's the one thing at this level moving forward is you have to teach these guys fastball command. He, he does that very well. He, he's able to add angle to his fastball. He's got the feel for the top of the zone with his fastball, and he hits on all of his secondary pitches. He throws his changeup, he throws his slider, and he throws his curveball for strikes. So when you can do that uh, and keep hitters off balance, you're going to have success, especially at the lower levels. Yeah, and going over Mejia because you're kind of referencing that start that he had out in Beloit, which was game one of a doubleheader. When we had him on the pregame show, we asked him exactly what was working so well. He said it was that curveball, and we could see it with the strikeouts because it's kind of that 12-6, to six, you know, like nose-to-toes, yeah. so it's easy to spot. Even for a broadcaster, it doesn't take a, right. an advanced scout to see that the curveball is being thrown. And he said that he was having maybe some, some difficulty with the changeup in that appearance, but obviously the curveball was able to bail him out. Does that kind of speak to how well Mejia is throwing the ball because because maybe not having all of those pitches to work with in an outing, he takes a no-hitter into the seventh inning and turns in eight solid innings. When you have a lot of weapons the way he does and one's not working, the other, the others just seem to kind of just do the job. And that day, his breaking ball was, was unbelievable. He did – I think he threw like four, maybe five change-ups. But it's, he picks his spots with it. Obviously, if with a heavy left-handed lineup, he, he probably would throw – probably anywhere between 10 to 15 change-ups. Um, Valamont's a guy that we've been really kind of preaching change-ups with. He's another guy that throws very, very good breaking balls. Um, as you saw last night, he was able to throw that curveball over 0-0 to get ahead. I think his first pitch strike percentage was like 81% yesterday, which was which was amazing. It actually makes my job a lot easier when guys are able to throw strikes and able to throw their secondary pitching. And then it all of a sudden becomes more of the mental side of the game with sequencing and, and what we're actually trying to do to the hitter up there. You look at uh, where they are in the box, you know, if they have an open or closed stance, where, where their hands are, and you basically work per pitch. I mean, it's nice to have a game plan going in. Okay, this is what I'm going to do early in the count. This is what I'm going to do late. But it could change, you know, second, third time through a lineup. You kind of – you don't want to try to reinvent yourself, but if teams start making that adjustment, you're, you're going to be able to have to make that adjustment yourself or you're going to get hurt. And I think he did a really good job of that yesterday. Yeah, you're mentioning Chris Valamont because he's been with the Lumber Kings since opening day. was the opening day starter. What have you felt like are the adjustments that he's had to make because he's been through now teams, it seems like, two times through the season, so he's kind of familiar to these bats. And what are the, some of the, uh, I guess, the chess match, the mental uh, gymnastics that go on now that he is a familiar arm here in the Midwest League because his success is still there, right? He's I been mean, so consistent. With analytics now, they – they not only have a book on somebody, but you can actually go to the websites and, and see where this guy likes to throw, you know, the tendencies early in the count, late in the count. What's his uh, usage as far as curveball percentage, changeup percentage, fastball percentage, late in the count. So it, it's nice to have 
those analytics and to look at them because you can actually almost play off of that a little bit. And the second half, it's like, okay, we have all this data of what you done did the first half, and it's not trying to make too many adjustments, but if we need to, then we can just basically go to the analytics and say, okay, this is what we did. Maybe we can start pitching a little bit differently this time around, second you know, second half of the season. But they, they always say uh, the toughest – not the toughest, but it's tough to get to the big leagues – it's tougher to stay in the big leagues just because if you have a, you know, a five, an eight, a 10 year career, I mean, the book is out on you with, with how you like to pitch. And it's just kind of getting better every year and not really just being complacent the way you throw the ball. It's like, it's every year you're, you're learning new things. I mean, I was like that throughout my career. It's like I had to adapt or die, so to speak. And I just started adding more movement to my fastball because my fastball was very straight when I was younger and, um, you know, I could pinpoint it in and out, but I, it lacked movement. And, and as I progressed, that movement helped, I think, get me to the big leagues with the cut fastball. How do you, how do you go about teaching that and learning that, just adding that movement to the, to the repertoire? I guess early on you can kind of feel like you can just throw it past guys, right? So it doesn't need to have that movement. And then you realize that, you know, major leaguers, as Bobby Cox once said, could time a jet if you gave them long enough time <laughs> to do it. So how do you go about learning that? Because it almost seems like speed almost, right? Something that you're born with, right. but it's something that you mentioned you could pick up on. I was a bit of a tweaker. I mean, even even in my throwing programs and even on, you know, the bullpen mound, I would I would use different grips, you know and see how it would move you know as you drop your arm slot it adds arm side run so I would mess around with my arm slots a little bit at the younger levels we really kind of want to refine the delivery to kind of make it uh, something that's repetitive so we can command those pitches but as you get older and you start really being more comfortable with your body and the way it works and this and that you can manipulate the ball a little bit easier I guess and you know I got a hold of this cut fastball, I guess when I was about 29 years old, I spent 10 years in the minor leagues. And it was when I was 29, I learned the cutter. And two years later, I was in the big leagues. And it was a pitch that um, that kind of separated me from the rest of the pack, so to speak. We're always talking about separators, like t- stock righties throw 88 to 92 ish. You know what I mean? Guys that throw a little bit harder than that, you know, your 94, 95, 96, they're put in a different category. Guys that can throw the two seamer, the cutter, the guys that have pitch ability. Um, you know, how are you separating yourself from from guy that's an org guy to a guy that you know turns himself into a prospect? So. You know, it kind of a light went on in my head as far as what I needed to do to get better. Uh, and it's getting better every year. You know, it's just every year is an opportunity to not add a pitch, but just refine your pitches to get a little bit better with command, to get that curveball over, you know, with strike percentage more frequently. So if you can do that, you can move through levels, and then it just becomes the competition aspect of things, like what's going on between the lines. I always I always preach to the guys, there's – um. There's the uh, training mindset and then the trusting mindset of things. Like training is everything we do in the grass, the, the throwing programs. Guys want to do long toss programs. We banged our, our flat ground because basically it teaches us to be late when you hit the uh, your front side of the foot, hits the dirt. Um, on a slope, it's a little bit you know, more of a, a, a decline. So we do all of our work on the mound now. So if guys want skill work, they'll do it off the mound. We call it skill work now instead of, uh, instead of flat ground. So a lot of guys are throwing off the mound and just gaining that consistency and that feel. And, um, you know, 
do it in the grass and it translates to the bullpen mound and hopefully we've done enough reps where we can we can take that out to a competition level and between the lines now that's where you you get game speed you always try to replicate game speed in the bullpen but you never really get there i mean when the heart starts going and you're you're ramped up to 100 105% that's when you really need to start calming your nerves calm your heart rate down and be able to just pitch and it's been nice to see some of the guys this year be able to do that I think at younger levels, when you become a professional, it's like added pressure on you to perform. Okay, they gave me a bunch of money. I got to do this, this, and this. But, you know, my job as a pitching coach is just to have them relax, focus, you know, just to remind them that it is still a game. Uh, it's a game you've played since you were younger, and everything that goes on out there, uh, it's just it's it's you getting better. It's part of the process. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're going to take your lumps during the process. Um, but when you struggle – um, and, and, and you come across times where, you know, you've learned a lot because you kept throwing this certain pitch or this and that, you know, it's just experience for the next level. And, and, and you just learn, you just use it as a learning experience to get better each and every time. We're again talking with the Lumber Kings pitching coach here, Mark DeFelice. You kind of hit on it a little bit from your personal experience, the cutter, which I've always been interested in as a pitch because you don't hear about it a lot at the single-A level, and you mentioned finding it at 29 years of age, so that's not an age that we see too often here in the Midwest (laughs) League. I think, actually, we can't by league rules. Um, But just uh, in in developing that pitch, it obviously works off the fastball, but then you go to the major leagues and you've got careers that are entirely built on it. Mariano Vera famously only threw cutters, and it worked out all right for him. He's in Cooperstown right now. So why is that? Is that taking so long? Usually the development, it, you hear guys talking about the pitch they're working on in single A is usually the changeup, but the cutter just kind of comes late, usually I guess at the double A level or, or so on, so to speak. But any, why is that? Any pitching coordinator that you talk to, um, they talk about the cutter as something that they'll learn down the road. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a developmental pitch, as in we're going to teach these guys right out of the bat when they get to us from high school or college. It's usually something later down the road that guys start developing maybe in AA or, or even AAA, some guys in the big leagues. I mean, if you look at CC Sabathia, he didn't have a cutter when he was actually first in the big leagues, and now he throws a lot of cutters. Uh, Cole Hamill, same way. Uh, John Lester, same way. All these guys throw cutters. They call them career savers. Um, you know, when velocity starts dropping and we want to start adding more movement to our fastball, then guys start going more towards the cutter. Two-seamer used to be like the pitch back in the day, but now it seems like it's more more the cut fastball. Yeah, the day like 10 years ago, right? Because that was Tim Lincecum's big pitch was the two-seamer, it seemed like, that worked off his four-seamer. Exactly. But. <laughs> so, you know, it was just the right time in my career to, to learn it. I think I had kind of plateaued at AAA, and I was bouncing around, uh, you know, to different uh, organizations. And I'd always go down and, and play in Mexico in the winter ball, and I met a Mexican pitching coach in 2006 and he liked my fastball he didn't like my slider and he goes there should be a little bit of um I guess my fastball was probably around 90 91 and my slider was like 80 81 he said your slider should be a little bit closer speed wise to your fastball probably around 84 85 and he's like I'm going to teach you this cut fastball hopefully it blends into your slider and he taught it to me that night uh threw it in the bullpen threw pretty well to the fact where I thought I could command it in the game. Uh, two days later, I pitched uh, in one of the games with the cutter. I punched out nine guys with it. So, And it's not even a pitch that you really strike guys out with. It's supposed to be a, a contact pitch, like we contact. But mine moved uh, pretty good. 
and I kind of I kind of just adapted it. And when I didn't get signed, well, I did get signed that year because I was a free agent. I signed with the Chicago Cubs, and I got released out of spring training. I ended up in independent baseball in 2006, and I, put, I pitched for the Camden River Sharks in the Atlantic League, and I threw the cutter probably 80 to 85% of the time because I knew this was going to be a special pitch, and I wanted to use it a lot and perfect it. So I was able to command it glove side arm side I could rise it and I could actually you know add depth to it kind of like a slider so when I got back into affiliated ball when the Brewers signed me the following year uh, I was armed with this cutter and I kind of flew through their minor league system from double AA, a triple a and I made my major league debut in 2008 so I it was kind of a career saver and it kind of actually made my career yeah, honestly. It, yeah. that it's uh, it looked like it lived up to the advertisement I yeah, guess, I guess so. a big shout out to the coach out in Mexico too <laughs> Adolfo Navarro I'll never forget his name <laughs> there we go well the uh, Clinton Lumber Kings too we were talking with uh, Alex Vessio we had a community outing up in uh, Chadwick and he was talking about uh, the change up a little bit and how you control it and, and getting out in front of the pitch and it was was kind of interesting just from the bullpen perspective. Vesia, who comes out of the Lumber Kings bullpen as a left-hander and has been pretty effective this season, just kind of learning that pitch. And what he was saying that when these roving scouts come through, and he had also thrown his pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, into the conversation, is saying that Marlins are wanting them to throw pitches that maybe they don't have that much confidence in because that's when you're supposed to work on it in a game. So I'm wondering if you could speak about that on the development side of things because, you know, pitching, they always say, is such a big mental sport, right, and, right. and having to work through maybe a, a couple of bleeder singles and now all of a sudden the confidence gets shot maybe a little bit for no reason even though you're being whipped by the wet noodle so to speak right. but I was wondering how you could speak about that in the Marlins in particular that if you don't have that great change up right away to keep throwing it in order because that's how you get better as you mentioned it that's how it worked for you in the cutter absolutely uh, I remember when I was younger um, a pitching coordinator told me that I wasn't able to throw any other secondary pitches besides a changeup. So I was just armed with a fastball changeup for a whole start. And he kind of proved his point as far as just we don't care about what happens. We want you to develop the pitch. Valamont's last game, I'm sorry, not the game last, uh, not the game yesterday, but the game before that, our pitching coordinator, Chris Mahalik, said that he needed uh, to throw between 15 to 20 change-ups, and he actually threw 19. So it was one of those things where we're like, we don't care what happens. We want you to throw it to left-handers and right-handers to get comfortable with it, and you have to use it in-game. You know, you can throw it as much as you want uh, during your throwing program and in the bullpen, but, but you really won't be able to get the feel of just in-game when everything's 100% and you're, and, and you're going hard. You can't get that feel anywhere else than in-game. So, I mean, Vessi was a guy that, you know, he's he's kind of been re- refining his slider a little bit too. His slider was was more loopy and slurvy because he has the curveball on the slider, so they sort of kind of blended together. So we got it where he was staying behind his, his slider a little bit. Now his slider is up to about 84, 85, which it was probably around 79, 80 miles an hour. So the changeup and the slider for him. Relievers are the type where – you know, if you have two pitches, fastball, changeup, fastball, slider, we see Mitzel with the changeup, which is devastating to both righties and lefties. Uh, if you can add that third pitch with Mitzel, it's like if we can add that breaking ball to something that's a weapon to right-handers because lefties, essentially, I think they're they're hitting under 100 off of him. And I think he's punched out probably uh, two guys per inning right now, which is unbelievable. I think in our analytics department, he's like leading the organization in QERA. But um, 
you know, w- with guys in the bullpen, like the changeup is important to an aspect. But if you can have that that's that go to secondary pitch where you come in and boom, I'm hitting you with that. But as a starting pitcher, definitely, you know, in the Marlins organization, you need to throw a changeup. That second, third, fourth time through an order, if you're pitching, you know, deep into the game, you're going to be need you're you're going to need to you know, have something that mimics that fastball because everybody can see a breaking ball out of the hand. You know, the dot, you know, the, the overhand curveball, the slider. But the changeup is, you know, with the arm speed as the fastball is, and if it's a straight change or a little bit arm side run, that messes hitters up completely. So, you know, we always teach kids when they're real young, like 10, 11, 12 years old, because we always say that the breaking ball kind of, you know, they're not developed enough to kind of throw it. What's the first pitch that we le- we teach them is the changeup. So you're basically, when you're younger, you're, you're competing with just a fastball and changeup. And then when guys start discovering the breaking ball, all of a sudden we just move away from the changeup. But it's the best pitch in baseball. Well, uh, we had a Dick, uh, Dick Scott out here too, one of the, um, well, a rovery instructor, but a little bit higher up on the hierarchy for the Miami Marlins than that as the director of player development for the Marlins. And he was telling us just about the construct of the team and having a lot of starting pitchers, which again, we were rained out today recording this on Sunday, May 27th. So a lot of double headers are what the Lumber Kings have found themselves in. Has that been a strength to kind of just from a, a team perspective to kind of lean on knowing that you have a guys that can go quite a few innings and we it, see it in piggyback starts as well. It definitely helps. Uh, we, we have a, a, I guess a five man rotation and then two out of the five are in, are in piggybacks now with Jones and Soriano and then Tanner Andrews and, uh, and Walters. But, um, it can be frustrating at times just to get the relievers in. So if Mejia and Valamont and even Guerrero go seven or eight innings, that's, that's three innings you're left with. And then all of a sudden you got two games with a piggyback. So it's nice on rainouts and stuff like that. But in the same sense, um, I mean, just just having a an eight man or a seven man bullpen would would be nice. Just to pitch a guy an inning here, inning there, get him a couple of days rest, throw him back out there. But the ways our the way our starters are throwing right now, it's like we're grabbing innings, you know, here and there. I'm just trying to, you know, just get guys in to clean up innings sometimes, just to get them some work. Fortunately, that'll mean another doubleheader for the Lumber Kings with the rainout today. We've got Humberto Mejia right over our shoulder here, so I wanted to touch on him just one more time too, because when we saw uh, Mejia out in Dayton, it had come out of the bullpen. So this was one of those arms that can go long in the games, but you said he could really just tear it loose because it was only three innings of work, so the fastball was up in velocity. Where did you feel like that worked into? Because it seemed like that was the start of this hot run that has now really encompassed all of the month of May for Mejia. He threw really well that day. We were just trying to get him some work to get him to start, I think, a couple days later. So they said no more than 45 pitches then, and I think in his mindset he was just going to go out there and just, just kind of blow it out a little bit. And I think he found another gear, honestly, and, and I don't think he ever threw I, – I, I guess – average fastball I think was almost 95 that day and I don't think he he ever kept his intensity going through a three inning stretch before so I think we kind of locked in on something but ever since that day you're right I think he's been pitching a lot more lights out and I think it's kind of bled into you know the rest of the pitching staff I'm a big proponent on you know we're a big family here and you know my attitude kind of affects other guys and, and people's attitude on the team kind of effect so when we start getting into a winning sort of way and or pitching um, people lead by example you know I've seen guys kind of become leaders you know on the field and you know during our our, our early work and this and that but to lead by example to take the mound and to grab the ball and be like you know what I'm good today you know I got I got eight plus or whatever that's it, it's it's infectious you know what I mean it starts kind of bleeding into other guys and if we can get that you know that good um 
you know, rivalry going between our starting pitchers. Like I'm going to go out and throw eight innings or I'm going to go out and have a complete, you know, complete game because I know they talk about certain things. You know, it's only going to breed success. So it's been nice to kind of watch. I'm going to ask you that because usually you hear from hitters that hitting can be contagious. And that seems to be the case, too, with pitching. And I think the recent run the Lumber Kings are on just kind of speaks to that. We're talking here with the Lumber Kings pitching coach, Mark DeFelice. Wanted to get your thoughts on some of the, the bullpen arms, in particular C.J. Carter, because I know there is no such thing as a closer in single A because that role is is not defined, but right. he does tend to come in and to save opportunities, he and he is the easiest guy to spot in the bullpen because of that lower arm angle. What is that? Uh, any change in coaching philosophy and how you deal with uh, C.J. Carter because it's a little submarinish, although not totally. Right. I've had I've had a um, a pitcher in the past um, that was a little bit lower, I think, than than Carter on some of the pitches. So I kind of have a little bit of experience as far as when things start going awry and then we have to focus back on delivery. Like, what's the main focus? It's staying back. It's getting out in front. Um, earlier in the season when it was cold, I think – guys with movement and stuff the ball just doesn't move as well and I think he he struggled early on just because of the weather and stuff and then once he was able to start you know getting into a a good routine off the mound I'm like listen we're going to need for you to have that feel every time to just get off the mound like every other day every day if you want to I don't care if you do skill work every day so he just started getting off the mound more it started warming up a little bit and his balls just started moving you know he's he's got the overhand breaking ball and and the fastball he throws to to left-handers mixed in with a changeup. then he's got the side winding fastball and the slider he throws to righty so he's got a mix of pitches which is unbelievable and, and he's pretty consistent with it. He's a guy that kind of lives up in the zone with his fastball. It's almost like a softball, like they th- they throw that rising softball. His fastball actually rises. So, you know, he's an analytic dream, honestly, when, <laughs> when, when you talk about, you know, pitching up and guys with spin rate because he's got probably one of the highest spin rates on our team. But for him to command uh, all his secondary pitches from different arm slots is, is pretty amazing, honestly. Well, I'll let you go with this, too. You mentioned spin rates because when we had to do the uh, school days here in Clinton, I have to teach the kids, and I talk to them about spin rates. I really just mention what it is, and usually I get a lot of kids scratching their heads. So I was wondering if you could, might be able to explain <laughs> it a little bit better because they are telling us that the higher the spin rate, the more difficult it is to see the ball and the, the results of the hitters go down a little bit, I suppose. And right. what goes into that and how... How do you you coach to that to maybe raise a spin rate if there is such a thing? How you coach to that, I I am still learning. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll tell you exactly what spin rate is. When you identify a pitcher that has spin rate, um, they're able to pitch up in the zone a lot more frequent and with success more than guys with lower spin rate. What it, what it means to have spin rate is that your ball has the appearance of rising, but it stays on the same plane, where guys with low spin rate have a little bit of a drop-off. So as a hitter, when you see a fastball, your eyes tend to go to a certain spot that you know that the, that the ball will end up. Well, this ball has a tendency to ride on, it, on the same plane. So that's why you see a lot of bats miss guys with high spin rate is because they're they're thinking that the ball is going to be here or it's a little bit higher so if you can if you can hit the top of the zone with your fastball with a high spin rate guy they say it's almost unhittable and to tell you the truth i've seen the guys that like uh, zach wolf has a high spin rate as well and he pitches up in the zone so we're going to go ahead and let those guys do that i was always brought up you need to create angle with your fastball and live down now it's you know we have the analytics and the hot zones this and that you know, as baseball's kind of evolved, so we're kind of seeing that trend where, okay, guys that can do it, let's go ahead and let them do it, then we'll tunnel that breaking ball right off of that. 
Well, appreciate you explaining that because it seems like every week there's a new stat, a new thing to look at with the analytics and just the nature of baseball as it is. Mark Dayflees, thanks so much for taking the time here on a rainy day in Clint to talk with us here on A-Ball. I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you. And welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ost. You just heard from the Lumber Kings pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, on what has been a very impressive group of Lumber Kings pitchers in the bullpen and also in the starting rotation, mentioning Humberto Mejia and Chris Valamont as of late, who have been red hot for the Lumber Kings in that starting staff. And we did touch on, before the interview, just the full report card for the Clinton Lumber Kings with what has happened with them offensively, although they've been able to play through it thanks to that strong pitching. Still a team, though, that the Lumber Kings have been picking up ground on the Burlington Bees, a series that had come to an end due to the rain, a game sooner than we had expected, but 26 and 25 or 23 on the season. So three games over 500 are the Lumber Kings and in that wild card place. Here in the single-A ranks, we play by halves. And if you're not familiar with that as a Major League Baseball fan, then just look for the strike seasons. That's when they had also played seasons based on halves. Here in the single-A level, our in the Midwest League, our first half will be coming to an end following Sunday, June 16th's game, which gives us about three weeks left of baseball. The Lumber Kings are a game and a half back in the playoff race for the wild card. When it comes to the Division, though, that's kind of being run away with right now by the Quad Cities River Bandits, a team that is 31-15 and 15 as we record this on Monday, Memorial Day, May 27th. That is a six-and-a-half game lead on the Clinton Lumber Kings, five games on the Burlington Bees in second place, a team that has really not played a whole lot of home games, and they have just gotten back into their ballpark after the flooding down in Davenport. Still, it has not bothered them at all. Quad Cities, if you talk to players and coaches around the Midwest League, will tell you may be the most talented team here at least through the first half and that is why it looks like they'll be coasting to a first half division title and that race that is developing in the west is for that wild card kind of bunched up between the bees the single a affiliate of the los angeles angels the king county cougars the single a affiliate of the arizona diamondbacks and the clinton lumber kings well on the transaction side of things though the lumber kings have been a very busy team and this series, it was back-to-back days of roster moves, and we always like to keep you abreast of the faces that come in and out here in Clinton. So we can tell you that Brian Hernandez, he has been sent down to extended spring training following a, a demotion, which meant that Davis Bradshaw, who was supposed to be here in Clinton, in fact, to start this season, he was then promoted to the Clinton Lumber King from extended spring training on that same day, part of corresponding moves that switched the outfield situation around for the Clinton Lumber Kings. But Bradshaw... As we mentioned, supposed to be out here after spring training, but then had suffered a leg injury that we had been looking forward to seeing. A very speedy outfielder. He had stolen several bases last year between his time in the GCL with the Marlins and in the Batavia Muck Dogs and the New York Penn League. 20 stolen bases total. 
He batted 376 in the GCL with the Marlins and 324 with the Batavia Muckdogs in the New York Penn League. An 11th round selection by the Miami Marlins in the 2018 draft. Bradshaw is now here in Clinton with Brian Hernandez demotion to extended spring. Then the following day, which was on May 25th, the Lumber Kings saw the promotion of Sean Gunther and a very well-deserved one. Gunther, who has been so sharp or was so sharp for the Lumber Kings in relief, a left-handed option for the manager, Mike Jacobs, had an ERA that was sub-2, and so a well-deserved promotion up to the high-A Jupiter Hammerheads. What it had meant was the Lumber Kings receiving a new pitcher from Jupiter, a demotion for Elkin Alcala, who had arrived for the Lumber Kings on the 25th as part of this corresponding move. He got into the game yesterday on Sunday afternoon at May 26th, and in his Lumber Kings debut, he picked up the save. So his first of the season did have a, a rough start to it. Spencer Griffin tripled against him off the wall in center. A very hard-hit ball is just the second pitch that Alcala had thrown in a Lumber Kings uniform. It would lead to a run on a sacrifice fly, but he would pick up the save, then getting a couple more fly ball outs to preserve that one-run win for the Clinton Lumber Kings, 3-2 in their victory on Sunday over the Burlington Bees. So new faces and a winning streak for the Clinton Lumber Kings, or at least a more successful run as of late. It was game number 49 of their 139-game schedule they completed on Sunday. We'll be posting this on Wednesday, and that will mean the Lumber Kings will be on the road against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. It is going to be a bit of a mix-up in the rotation, so before we let you go, we'll tell you about that. It is going to be Jake Walters who is going to be back into the starting rotation on Wednesday, so you can listen to that debut when the Lumber Kings are up in Grand Chute, Wisconsin. Walters will now be piggybacking to start with Tanner Andrews, and will also, of course, have Humberto Mejia, which will wind down that rotation for the Clinton Lumber Kings in series in Wisconsin as they continue to try and see the offense pick up and match the success of the pitching staff as of late. A big thanks to the guest today and Mark DeFelice for taking the time on what was another wet one in Clinton, a postponement on Memorial Day, May 27th. We'll shamelessly plug our broadcast side of things. Of course, you can listen to all the Lumber Kings action in 2019 with yours truly, Ericos, on the call. For those of you within the broadcast range, you can tune in to 100.3 FM WCCI. Or for those of you outside of the broadcast range, you can find us on the interwebs at LumberKings.com via the TuneIn Radio app for all Lumber Kings action. 139-game schedule now. Lumber Kings will have their 50th on Tuesday against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers starting a three-game series before they return home to then take on the Kane County Cougars for a series that will start on Friday, May 31st, with what is going to look like a Humberto Mejia start, everyone being pushed back now a day following the rainout here in Clinton. It'll likely then mean that Chris Valamont gets the start on Saturday against the Kane County Cougars. Those will be night games at 6.30 for the start times here in Clinton. So hopefully, maybe we'll see you at the ballpark. We're always looking to see new faces here. But if not, we can see you on the radio with our Lumber Kings broadcast. That will do it here for episode number nine of A-Ball with Eric Ose. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode, and hopefully you enjoyed it, and we'll have you back next week. Not sure exactly who we'll be talking to, but only time will tell. We'll let the games decide. We'll talk to you in a week with our next episode of A-Ball. 